Well, good morning. How's everybody feeling? Pretty good. Excited to be here today. Hey, uh, really quick, if you're a guest with us here today, my name is Danny, and uh, we are a multi-site church. Just to give you a little bit of uh, insight of what's going on here, a multi-site church, that's what we are. That is one church with multiple locations, so it's kind of exciting today. We're fired up that in this very moment right now, as, as I'm talking here, there are actually two other locations gathered together, one in the Perry Meridian a- uh, area at the corner of Banta and Harding. Uh, there's a service going on right, th- right, right now with about 400 total people there. And right now, as I speak for the first time ever, there's a service going on in the Franklin Middle School with about 200 people there gathered. And that's just, to me, that's absolutely fascinating. Can we give God praise for that? Isn't that awesome? One church with multiple locations, and, and I hope, and my hope, and my, my prayer is that God would use our team and use you to continue to launch campuses all across the state of Indiana. Is that exciting? You want to be part of that? Wouldn't that be fun? Very cool. Um, why would we do that? Because we believe that uh, we have something inside of us that everybody needs, and that is spiritual life. That is eternal life. That is abundant life. And we want to share that with as many people as possible. Uh, invite them into that journey. And so, um, so we're in a series today, uh, second week of a series called Being Spiritual, Being Spiritual. And uh, what we want to try to do over the next couple weeks is, is kind of unpack this idea of what does it really look like to be a spiritual person? We hear people talk about that. We hear people say, I'm, I'm spiritual. Or, uh, but, but what does that actually mean? Uh, there was a, a poll that just came out recently that said that one out of every five Americans say that they are spiritual, but they're not religious. That interesting. They've distanced themselves from, uh, some ch- from a church or from a, uh, any religion, but they still feel like they're spiritual people. What does that even mean, to be a spiritual person without religion? Can you be spiritual while being involved in a religion? Is it, does that automatic? If you come to church on the weekend, does that make you a spiritual person? If you pray, does that make you a spiritual person? Does it matter what God that you pray to? Can you pray to the God of the Jews, the God of the Muslims, the God of the Hindus, the God of, uh, of Christianity? Does it matter which God you pray to in order to be a spiritual person? If you read some type of holy book, maybe the Quran or the Bible or the Old Testament that, 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 that Jews follow, does that make you a spiritual person if you actually spend time reading a holy book of some sort? These are good questions, don't you think? These are questions that people ask in our world today. You know, is it, is it okay just to, uh, to, just to kind of be spiritual in general? Or is there a specific type of spirituality that you need in your life? That's kind of what we want to do in this series is investigate that. A lot of people feel like they're spiritual because they connect with nature. And they like to go on hikes and they just feel this peace and this calm come over them as they look at the mountains or, or the, a sunset and they feel very spiritual. They'd say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. In fact, last weekend, there's a girl that came down front after the Saturday night service. Did I tell you this? I, I tell people a lot of stuff. I, I forget who I tell stuff to. But she came down front and she said, my whole life I've told people I'm spiritual but not religious. And for the first time, I finally understand what it means to be spiritual. I thought, oh, that is awesome. That's exactly what I pray for. And so last week we looked at this idea that you must, be, you must have spiritual, a spiritual birth if you want to have spiritual life. That, that true spirituality, in your notes there, is a matter of another reality coming to bear itself upon our reality. Jesus said, I want you to turn from living in your own kingdom and repent, and, and I want you to turn and live in my kingdom, Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, Jesus would say. 
There's another reality coming to bear itself on our reality or in our reality. And my job and your job is to now incorporate our lives into that other reality, which is the kingdom of God, the source of eternal life, the source of abundant life. Jesus said one time, you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of heaven. There must be a spiritual birth inside. One must put their confidence and trust in Jesus to receive that spiritual birth. And we talked about this last week, and so we looked at an idea from Dallas Willard, and I love this, so I'll just show it to you again. He said, a person is a spiritual person. Again, that's what we're trying to discover here. What does it mean to be spiritual? A person is a spiritual person to the extent that their life is integrated into and dominated by God's spiritual kingdom. To To the degree that I'm living in the kingdom of God, to that degree I'm spiritual or not spiritual. You see? And so that's why Jesus would use this word kingdom a lot. You know, he would say things like, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You you see that? See, a lot of other things that Jesus taught began to make sense in light of this this, this idea that what, what he really did was he brought a new way to live to us and it was found in him first upon a conversion when a person is born again. And so, again, all, if, you're like, if you're thinking, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> you can go back and watch this. I did a whole talk on it last week. You can catch it on the podcast if you missed it. So, but you have to be born again. But it's not enough to be born again. You also have to, to, to give the Spirit of God leadership in your life, to, to offer Him the parts of your body, your mind, heart, hands, feet, eyes, ears, the whole outfit, and say, I offer these to you, uh, to, to perform your will on earth as, as it is done in heaven, and that's what it looks like to live in the kingdom. Anyway, I'm done with that, okay? Because I would like to preach that whole talk again. It was pretty good. Did you, were you there last week? Were you here? Anyway, and no, 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 clap. That's, that's all right. Well, we'll move on, because we're about to talk about that, praise and all that stuff. Okay, so let's jump into this. So what does it look like to be a spiritual person? Part two, let's continue this conversation. Let me, let me, let me rewind the clock for you a little bit and take you back to, uh, I don't know, say middle school. Anybody remember middle school? dreadful time. In middle school, you have a lot of audiences, don't you? You got your parents, they're an audience. You got your friends, they're a big audience. Maybe you have some teammates, if you're in a sport or some sort like that, right? So you have classmates, teammates, friends, friends, different sets of friends. You got maybe a set of friends in the neighborhood and then a set of friends at school and a set of friends at, at, at church, maybe, if you grew up in church or something. You got all these audiences, and isn't it interesting that the audiences, if you, can go back, if you can go back, way back to middle school, these audiences had opinions about you, didn't they? Do you remember what they thought about your braces? Right? About the shape of your body, do you remember this? Some, some girls develop in middle school, and so everybody has an opinion about the way your body's changing. The boys do, and your mom's trying to help you, and I've never been a middle school girl, so it's hard for me to know exactly the pressures that you face. But I know as a middle school boy, man, there are all kinds of pressures to be fast and athletic, and everybody had an opinion about your athletic ability or your lack of athletic ability, you know, and then if you really stunk at sports, you had to kind of find another group to hang out with that accepted you, so you had to like be a nerd or something like that, right, or join the band. Not that there's anything wrong with the band. Listen, <laughs> listen, you guys are a whole, lots of talent there, okay? But you had to find a, see, it looks like I'm making fun. I'm not making fun. But, you, but isn't it interesting how you had to kind of find that group that accepted you and that approved of you, right? I had to find it, you had to find it. 
And, and, and what's, what, what I noticed, you know, strongly or, or what came so clear to me is that I, I wanted the approval of my audiences. I remember one time I was sitting in the lunchroom and there's a kid said to me, your teeth are so big. <laughs> and it wasn't a compliment. I had these same teeth when I was 13. Can you imagine these teeth in a middle school body and a face? Big, protruding teeth. So I was worried about that, you know, I'm trying to cover them up. Because you didn't get, I had, they, they weren't helping me. Right? So what's interesting is that we grow up, as we grow up, the opinions of all the audiences in our life, they kind of fade away, don't they? No, they don't. <laughs> you think people, they, they, people just get older, but we still, we still have these audiences. We've got our neighbors. They, they, have, they have opinions about our grass. <laughs> Friends still have opinions about our body and how we look. You know, if we're losing our hair or whatever's going on, they have opinions. We still have coworkers that have opinions about our life and what neighborhood do we live in, how much money we're making. We still have a boss that has opinions. These things don't fade away as we get older. Anybody honest here today? Can we be honest? We still care, don't we? We still care about the opinions of the audiences. The audiences might change, but we still care in our life. We don't want to be one of those people. You know what I'm talking about? We were very careful not to be labeled as one of those people. You know, maybe, one of, maybe, maybe what, you're, what you're thinking of, or at least what I'm thinking of, is one of, the, one of those people who have a messy house. You want to be one of those people, so you keep your house clean. Or maybe you don't want to be one of those parents that have unruly kids, one of those parents. Will you get a grip of your kids, please? Right? You don't want to be one of those parents, so you're really hard on your kids so that when you go out in public, they don't embarrass the heck out of you. You know what I'm talking about? So we're, so we're motivated by the opinions of others when it comes to our parenting or whatever. My wife and I, we have a cleaning lady. She comes every other week. I struggled to tell you that because I didn't want you to think I was one of those people. So if you're doing the math, that's twice a month she comes, and um, the other day Jackie says to me, you know the cleaning lady's coming today, and I was like, oh yeah, you know, and, and the cleaning lady, she doesn't pick up, you know, she, she doesn't pick up your stuff, you have to, she cleans the house, so you have to pick up before she comes, and that's fine, so we pick up, but then I started to look around at the, the uh, vanity in our bathroom, and I noticed toothpaste, and some shaving cream, and then some stuff I couldn't identify, you know what I'm talking about, some crusty stuff? Not really sure what it was. Maybe some cereal. I don't know. So, so, yeah. So, you eat cereal in your bedroom too? Do you? <laughs> See, I'm one of those people. I am. I just, I eat cereal in my, bed, in my bedroom. Anyway, so, so I, what do I do? I, I, I start to clean. I start to clean the vanity. Now, and this is not picking up. This is different from picking up. I clean the vanity. I, I wipe it down, and I get rid of the toothpaste and the stuff that's crusty and, and all the, the shaving cream. And then I think, and I sit down, and I think, now, why am I doing that? It's because I didn't want the cleaning lady to think I was one of those people. Isn't that amazing? I'm screwed up. See, I'm messed up, just like you. I, I'm not going to preach at you today. I'm going to talk with you today and try to take, take a journey down what it really looks like to become a spiritual person because those examples are silly. Okay, let's, let's just be honest. They're silly. But th this, this whole idea of living for the approval of different audiences in your life can be very dysfunctional and very destructive in our lives. The Bible has a term for it. It's called the fear of man. And in your notes, I want you to see this. Living for the approval of people can be dysfunctional and destructive. 
because it affects major areas in your life. If you're constantly seeking the approval of different audiences in your life. Proverbs 29, 25 says it this way. Fearing people, that's the phrase that the Bible has for living for the approval or opinions of others. Fearing people is a dangerous, say it with me, a dangerous trap. It's a snare in, our, in my life and in your life. But trusting the Lord means safety. Why is fearing people a dangerous trap? Well, here's why. Because the opinions of people in your life, the opinions of the audiences in your life, they change. One parent wants you to go to this college, the other one wants you to go to the other, this college. A girlfriend wants you to go to this college. A friend wants you to go to this college. Well, who do you listen to? The one to whom you need the approval, the, the approval of. And yet, you could end up going to the wrong college. Listen up, high school students, college, you know, you know 20-somethings. You could end up going to the wrong college because you fear people. Not the college that God wanted you to go to, but the college that someone else that you need the approval of wants you to go to. And then you take that same situation and you start talking about a job. What kind of job should I have? Well, you have one audience telling you you should go in this direction, another audience telling you you should go in this direction. Who do you listen to? And so because you need the approval of a friend more than you need the approval of a parent, you end up going with that person's opinion about what job you should go after. And then you talk about who should you marry and what type of person should you date. And so you listen to the different audiences in your life. And whoever you need the approval of most, you listen to that person. You should date this person. You should marry this person. Before you know it, because you fear people, you could end up in the, at the wrong school, with the wrong degree, with the wrong job, with the wrong spouse. Do you see how fearing people is a dangerous trap? Are you with me? Some parents give, middle, give their middle school students, we'll talk about middle school students because I have two of them. <laughs> and I, if you have middle school student, I feel your pain. So a lot of parents give their middle school students one of these. It could be an Android or an iPhone. And with that comes the uh, Instagram and the Twitter and all that stuff, Facebook. And I think you're absolutely insane. Can I just tell you that in a kind, loving way? <laughs> I think you're crazy. Uh, here's why. Because a middle school student, they don't know who they are. They're all looking for identity, and where are they going to get that from? They're who? They're, come on with me? They're friends. And so what do they do on Instagram and Twitter? They find out what's popular, what's cool, and they create these little, you know, alter egos that's really not reflective of who they are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and they say the most awful, terrible, explicit things on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, Right? To create this, this image that's really not true about them, why do they do it? To gain what? The approval of as many people as possible. They're called what? Followers. You with me? And so they create this, this, this image of themselves. Anderson Cooper did a whole show on this. If you have a middle school student, I challenge you to watch it on, on uh, CNN called uh, Being 13. And he interviewed a bunch of middle school students who had Facebook, Twitter, Instagram accounts and had their parents on the show. That was interesting. <laughs> Knucklehead, knuckleheads that they were. I'm not judgmental at all. I really, I'm really not. <laughs> but they were knuckleheads. And, and uh, these kids, he, Anderson Cooper took them through exact phrases that they had posted on Twitter and Instagram and all these different things. The most horrible things you can say to a human being, and he's reading these, these, these whatever you call them, these 442 character statements, back to these students, and they're like, oh, well, yeah, well, that's not really how I am. I just was having a rough day that day. But you called her a blankety blank, blank, blank. You said that to her. You told her to die, <laughs> right? 
And then you posted a, a, a naked picture of her and said that she blah, 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 and you put it out there for everybody to see. What were you thinking? Well, I just didn't like her. <laughs> Middle school students, parents saying, hey, here, son, happy, happy, Merry Christmas. Here's an iPhone. Are you crazy? Okay, that's another sermon for another day. Let's get back on track really quick. <laughs> my point, my point is this. Middle school students live for the approval of their friends. And that, that is, becomes so evident as you give them Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these different things. They change like a chameleon with the crowd that they're with, right? But us adults, we're above that, right? We, we rise above that. No, we don't. Come on. We still fear people. Peter has this incredible life with Jesus for three years. A little bit of pressure from some teenage girls. And what does he do? I don't know the man. I don't know the man. And he caves into the fear of people. In John chapter 12, Jesus was preaching, and, and a bunch of people actually ended up putting their faith in him. John chapter 12, verse 42 and 43. Watch what happens. These are adult people, like me and li- like you. Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the uh, Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it. Why? Why wouldn't they admit their faith in Jesus? Because of fear. They feared man. They feared that they were going to be kicked out or expelled from the synagogue. Why did they fear man? Watch this, next phrase, verse 43. They loved human praise more than the praise of God. They wanted the the affirmation and the praise of their colleagues and their friends more than they wanted God's approval in their life. And so what did they end up doing? They denied their faith. These are adults we're talking about here. You see what the fear of man does? It also leads us to disobey God at times, the fear of man. Just like there's a great story in the Old Testament about a guy named Saul. God, he was the king of Israel. God told Saul to totally wipe out this group of people called the Amalekites because they had given the Israelites all kinds of problems for many, many years. He said, I'm finally done. He gave Saul the commandment. Saul obeyed 95% of the way. But he didn't finish the job. He let the king survive and kept all the best of the animals and the sheep. And so Samuel had to come and confront him and say, what's up, bud? What happened? Why didn't you finish the deal? And finally, finally Saul admitted that he sinned. First Samuel, check this out. Listen to what he says. Saul said to Samuel, yeah, you're right. I've sinned. I've transgressed, I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and, and your words. And here's why. Watch this. Because I, say it with me, feared the people. I was afraid of what the people would say. They wanted me to keep the king alive. They wanted me to keep the best of the animals. And I gave in to their voice. I obeyed them rather than obeying God. See what the fear of man can do? And as a result of him obeying the voice of the people that he was the leader of, he was the king, God said, Saul, here's the deal. Now that you've disobeyed me, I'm going to take away the kingdom. I'm going to give it to David. King David. Totally destroyed his life. The fear of man leads to dysfunction and destruction in our lives. See, last week I said that a spiritual person surrenders their spirit to the leadership of the spirit, if you were here last week, right? That the Holy Spirit is leading my life. He's in charge. He's calling the shots. Well, when you give in to the fear of man, you give people leadership of your life. Now they're in charge of where you should go, and what you should say, and how you should dress, and what kind of makeup you need to have, what kind of clothes you need to have, and what kind of school you're whatever, blah, 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 right? Now people are in charge of your life instead of the Holy Spirit, and that is an unspiritual life. So what does a spiritual life look like? What does a spiritual person do? The flip side, the exact opposite. Watch this. A truly spiritual person is one who lives for the audience of one. The audience of one. And that one is Jesus Christ. 
they have one audience. You know, if you're not familiar with the Bible, I'm going to talk about a guy named Paul. He's written, he wrote 14 letters in the New Testament. He lived this out perfectly. He lived for the audience of one, and I want to share with you one particular passage where he was uh, dissecting this and kind of unpacking this and showing us how to do it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, watch what he says here. 1 Corinthians 4. Paul says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Basically, he says, the opinions of the people around me carry very little weight. It's not that they don't carry any weight. They do. It would be prideful to say that we don't care about anybody's opinion at all, right? I mean, people matter. People have good opinions, but, they're, but Paul says their opinion is very small in my life, and then he goes on to say, I don't even judge myself, in the next phrase, he explains what this means. Listen to what he says. My conscience is clean, but that doesn't make me innocent. Basically, he's saying, I'm not even going to pass judgment on myself. You know, as I think about my life, I don't really feel like I'm doing anything wrong. My conscience is clean, but I'm not innocent because I'm not my own judge. So my opinion of myself is very small, and your opinion of me is very small. Let's look at what Paul says. Let's look at who, whose opinion is really big in Paul's life. Next phrase. Paul says, it is, say it with me, it is the Lord who judges me. It's God's opinion that matters. Your opinion's small, my opinion's small. God's opinion is huge in my life. I live for the audience of one. Listen to what he says next. It's incredible. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time, or wait until the Lord comes, he says. He's trying to get us to live in light of the second return of Christ. When Christ comes back, where every single one of us will give an account of ourselves to the Lord. Watch what he says next. When that happens, in that judgment, watch what's going to happen. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. What's hidden in darkness? He tells us. And he will expose the motives of the heart. That's what's hidden in darkness. What God's going to do on our judgment day is going to lay our life out, and he's going to look at what we did, but underneath or behind what we did are the hidden motives. Why did we do what we did? Why did we serve the poor? Why did we adopt a child? Why did we give money to the church? Why did we do our good deeds? He's not just going to look at the good deeds. He's going to look at the motive behind the good deeds, the why behind the what. And that's, that's called living in God's presence, living before the audience of one. God sees not just the action, but he sees the motive behind the action. And in our judgment, what God is going to do is give us praise, or he's not going to praise us based on our motive. Look at the next phrase. He says, at that time, at our judgment, each person will receive praise from God. Not just for your actions, but for the reasons behind your actions. What did you do it for? Who were you trying to impress, Paul says. If you were trying to gain the smile of God, you will receive much praise from him. But if your audience was man, it doesn't really matter what you did because you got your reward on earth. Wow, that's powerful. Paul would try to do this in other letters. He would try to say some of the same things. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, he says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. See, here's the thing. When I'm judged, you won't be there. You won't be at my judgment. And guess what? I won't be at your judgment. It's going to be you and Christ. And he's going to lay out your life. And every one of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due. So you have some things coming to you or not coming to you for what you've done in the body, whether it is good or evil. Every single one of us will come 
to that point of judgment. And so again, in Romans 14, verse 12, he tries to t- he's tuning it for the Corinthians, he's trying to help the Romans. Listen to what he says in 14, 12. So then each one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. He's always trying to get us to think about that moment where the Lord will, uh, uh, will evaluate our lives, both the actions and the motives behind the actions. So he lived for the audience of one because only his opinion mattered in the end. I won't be at your judgment and you won't be at mine. So why should I live for your approval? And why should you live for my approval or the approval of any other human audience? You with me? Is this making sense? Yes or no? Is this good stuff? A truly spiritual person lives for the audience of one because that one person's opinion is the only one that matters in the end. Now, how did Paul get to this? Or how, how are you and I supposed to get to this level of spirituality where we care very little about the opinions of people but very much about God's opinion? How do we get there? Well, Paul sought the approval of God. And if you want to get to that level too, if I want to get to that level too, we must seek the approval of God alone. We must, because isn't that why we, why we live for the other audiences in our life? We want their approval? We want to gain their approval? What would happen if you only sought the approval of God in your life? Wow. How did Paul achieve that? How did he get to that level? Well, I believe he lived out the teachings of Jesus, particularly uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. I believe, I believe Paul took, the, took uh, the Sermon on the Mount and he lived it out practically. Let me show you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. He said, beware, he's saying this to the religious people of that day, beware of practicing your righteousness before who? before the audience of people. Why? In order to be what? Say it with me. Seen by them. You're going to be prone to live your life in front of others to gain praise from them. That's just the, one of the curse, curses from the Garden of Eden. You're, you're, you're broken. You, you, you need significance and approval, and you're going to be tempted to get it from audiences other than me. That's what Jesus is saying here. But don't do that, he says, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. In other words, you can't live for the audience of people in one hand and also gain the smile of God on the other hand. You can't do both at the same time, he's saying. If you want the smile of God upon your life, you have to live for his approval. If you're going to seek the approval of people, God's not going to smile. Translation. He continues. Thus, when you give to the needy, and he'll, he'll talk about prayer, and then he'll talk about fasting here in just a second, uh, but he's going to focus on giving really quick. When, when you give to the synagogue, when you write your checks, when you put your money in the bucket, however you give, don't sound a trumpet. Don't make a big deal about it, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Why do they make a big deal about it? So that what? So they can receive praise from people. Don't, don't do that. Don't make, don't make a big deal about it. Instead, here's what I want you to do. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you give to the needy, when you do your prayers, when you do your, your giving, when you do your fasting or whatever it is, here's what I want you to do. Don't let your le- left hand know what your right hand is doing. What does he mean? He says, so that your giving may be in secret. And there is the secret. The secret to breaking the approval addiction that we have or living for the opinions of others is to do and live in secret. You see that? Watch what happens when you live in secret. And then, when you live in secret, your father, the one that's going to judge you in the end, remember? When that day happens, your father, who sees what's going on in secret, he will smile upon your life. 
I think Paul took these teachings right here, and I think he lived them out. And he started to preach, hey, 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 come on, come on, the, the Lord is the one who judges me. In the end, I'm gonna sit before the judgment seat of Christ, and he's gonna give me what's due me in my, for the things I did in the body, whether they're good or bad. I'm gonna give an account of myself to God. I live for his audience, because his is the only opinion that matters. That's how he did it. He lived a life of secrecy, because secrecy, but when you do something in secret, guess what? People don't see it. <laughs> And because they don't see it, they don't say, boy, hey, that was really good. Nice job. That was awesome. It's so nice of you to give that money to that orphanage. It's so nice of you what you, they don't see it. They didn't see it, so they can't give you praise. And so what ends up happening, you're forced to seek the approval of God instead of the approval of man, which is a snare or a trap to your life. You see how this works? Now, just because I'm making sense of this or preaching it to you doesn't mean it's easy. I've been trying to do this all week. <laughs> And not very successful at it. Because I, like you, uh, have learned my whole life what is acceptable to people and how to get the praise from people and, and to kind of run my life off of the praise and affirmation of people. I'm no different than you. So I went for a run this week. I, I, I wanted to see, uh, you know, what I could do. I haven't run in a long time and, or, or uh, you know, in a, in a competitive way. So I got on the treadmill the other day, and I hit the, I hit the road. I mean, I was just going. I'm like, oh, this feels good. You know, I'm getting in mile, I'm like on mile six, and I'm like doing an eight-minute pace. I'm like, man, this is really good, you know, this is great. Who's watching? Does anybody notice how good I'm doing? You know, mile seven, mile eight, mile nine. I'm like, this is incredible. Nine miles in? I'm still motoring at like 750 pace, 745 pace. Mile, mile 10 hits, I'm still motoring, right? I'm like, someone has got to see this. So around mile 10, I, get, I have my cell phone there. I'm like, I got to call my wife. So I call her, and, and, and uh, I'm, 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 this is what I was hoping this would happen, okay, in my head. Honey, I'm on mile 10. I've got two more miles to go, and I'm going to finish in like an hour and you know, 36 minutes if I keep this pace up, you know, which is like what I used to do when I was uh, like 35 years old or 34 years old. And now I'm 38, you know, and so I'm like, I'm, I, here's how I pictured the conversation. Wow, honey, that's incredible. You're amazing. <laughs> you are so fast. <laughs> it must be the beard, you know, it must be you're such a man. <laughs> Some version of that. You know what I got instead? Hello? Are you there? I can't hear you. What? You're doing what? Where are you? Oh, 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 I'll just see you. I'll see you in a little while. <laughs> it's a bad connection. <laughs> Finished my miles. Nobody says jack squat to me. <laughs> and I am literally have this moment like, and, you, and you're going to get up and talk about living in secret? Now, why do I tell you that story? I want to tell you that story because I'm talking about being a spiritual person, and, I, and I'm being honest with you. There are times where I'm spiritual, and then there are times where I am not. And that was one of the times. Because I, I'm so used to living off of the approval or the affirmation of the other audiences in my life instead of the audience of one. It's a struggle. But nevertheless, nevertheless, just because it's a struggle doesn't mean I'm going to give up. I'm going to try 
to live like Paul did and say, you know what, the opinion of this person is small carries very little weight. The opinion of this person is small carries very little weight. The Lord is the one who judges me. He's going to bring to light what's hidden in darkness. He's going to expose the motives in my judgment day, and then I'll receive the praise from God. Oh. Therefore, let me live for his eyes only. Here's my challenge to you and to myself. You ready? In your notes there. I want you to, this week, I want you to try to let every choice, every decision in your life, let every action, let every decision be motivated, because that's the key. That's the key. Let every decision, let every action be motivated by the audience of one. Because it's his opinion that matters most in our life. Because we will stand before his judgment seat in this world. You with me? In Psalm 89, 15, the psalmist writes, blessed or happy or favored are the ones or the people who, who answer the call to, the, to, to worship or the festal shout. That's what that means. <laughs> who walk, who live in the light of your face. Blessed are the people who live and they walk in the light of his face who desire the smile of God upon their life, who listen to the audience of one. Happy are those people. I want to be one of those people who is motivated by a desire to please my Heavenly Father, as Paul did. Now, what are the results of this? You know, I, I think it's nothing short of abundant life. Can you imagine the opinions of your in-laws or the people in your life or the co-workers or your social media followers. Can you imagine when their opinions are silenced or they matter very little in your life? Imagine the freedom that comes from that, the security that comes from that because you have gained the approval of the one, the one voice in your life. Wow, there's so many benefits to that. There's ease of living. You can, you can do things that you know are right without being worried about what people are gonna think. There's freedom in that. But I think the best benefit to living for the audience of one is partnering with God to fulfill his will on earth as it is in heaven. See, when all these other audiences get silenced in your life or they become small, you can hear that one voice. You can have that one opinion. And you can hear him say, here's the path I want you to take. Follow it. And you can say, because I seek your approval and nobody else's, I'm going to follow it. And you find yourself right smack dab in the middle of the will of God. So, so many people ask me, how do you know the will of God? You have to listen to the voice of the Father. And you have to care about what he thinks about your life. And then he'll make it clear for you. And then you walk in that path. And you find exactly what you're supposed to do in this world. And you partner up with God to fulfill his will on earth. Let me give you one last example, and then we'll close up. I want to show you how this works, how, or how it worked in the book of Acts, chapter 3 and chapter 4. Paul, uh, I'm sorry, uh, jo uh, Peter and, and John... Uh, we're able to heal this guy in Acts chapter 3. There's a, there's a huge healing. And then they started to preach about Jesus. And there is the whole community. This is after Jesus went back to heaven. He died, he, he was buried, he rose again, went back to heaven. And now everybody's in an uproar because there was this legitimate healing and now they're preaching. And so the Sadducees and the, and the, lead, the, the religious leaders, they arrest, they arrest John and Peter and they put him in jail. But they know they can't keep him because a legitimate miracle happened, Okay. So they get him out of prison, they can't beat him, they can't crucify him, they can't keep him in jail. 
So all they do is threaten them. They say, you've got to stop this nonsense. You can't preach about Jesus anymore. Just quit it or else we're going to arrest you again. And I want you to hear their response because they were living for the audience of one. Watch this, Acts chapter 4. But Peter and John replied to these guys, and they said, which, which is right in God's eyes? Like, what's the right thing to do in light of what God thinks, God's opinion in this situation? Should we listen to your, to, to, to your voice, or should we listen to him? Like, like, what audience should we go with here? Should we shut up and stop preaching about Jesus, or should we obey Jesus, who told us to go into all the world and preach the, the gospel to every creature? Like, who should we listen to here? You guys are threatening to arrest us, and Jesus is giving us these clear instructions about about preaching until we reach every person at the end of the, to the end of the age. He says, you guys be the judge. You decide. But as for us, next verse, as for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. And so they went on preaching and teaching about Jesus in light of the fact that they were being threatened with arrest. They listened to the voice of God. And guess what they found? They found God's perfect will for their life. And they walked in it. And because of Peter and John and many others like them, here we are 2,000 years later gathering in a room talking about what? Jesus. Because Peter and John listened to the voice of God instead of the voice of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. What would happen in your life if you just decided to say, God, I've been listening to all the wrong voices giving in to the fear of man, giving in to the pressures of what everybody thinks I should be doing with my kids, with my job, with my money, blah, 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 blah. I just want to please you. I just want your approval. You show me what to do. Guess what would happen? I feel like you would find God's perfect will for your life and you would walk in it and you would partner with him to change this hurting, broken world. But the choice is yours. The choice is mine. Whose voice are we going to listen to? What audience are we going to live for? The one or the many? As we close here today, I want to offer you, some of you the invitation to live in the kingdom. Jesus would say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? Well, he brought with him spiritual life. He brought with him eternal life. But that's not just going to heaven when you die. It includes that. But it's rich and satisfying life right now. It's living with God right here, right now on this side of heaven. See, Christ died on a cross for you. He was buried for three days, and, and after three days, he rose again and he, to conquer the penalty of sin and death, which was held against all of us. And we, when we put our confidence and faith in Christ, we are forgiven of our sins. We are washed, we are made clean, and we receive true spiritual life. There's some of you here today, you need to make that decision. You put it off last week, you put it off the week before, maybe you put it off for, for a month already. And every time I get to this point in the service, you kind of resist it. Maybe today is the day where you say, you know what, I need to do that. I'm going to put my faith in Christ. I'm going to become a new creation. I'm going to be forgiven of my sins. I'm going to start living in the kingdom of God. If that's you right now, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. In fact, I'd invite all of us to close our eyes and bow our head. And if you want to live in the kingdom of God, if you want eternal life, abundant life, pray this simple prayer of faith. To God right now, he's listening. It's a prayer he loves to answer. Just say this. Dear Jesus, I put my confidence and trust in you today. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again three days later to conquer the penalty of sin 
held against me. Wash me, forgive me, cleanse me, and make me one of your children. I repent and I turn into your kingdom. Help me to live for your audience alone. Help me to seek your approval alone. May I honor you with, with the rest of my life. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer really quick, we would love to put a copy of the New Testament in your hands as you walk out today. There's tables back here to my right and to my left. If you're in the balcony, you can come down and grab one of these. Here's why we're so passionate about giving these away if you pray to receive Christ. Now, if you pray to receive Christ like last year, just don't get one of these. Just go buy one in the bookstore. This is for people who just put their faith in Christ today or last week. Here's why we want to do that. Because we believe with all of our heart that as you engage the scriptures on your own, God begins to guide you, instruct you. He helps you to, to learn what he's like, what you're like. He basically shows you how to live in his kingdom. And so we want you to grab one of these on your way out back there at the tables. And not just grab it, but begin read, reading it. It's broken down into daily readings every single day, about five to, to ten minutes. Uh, you can dive in and it's easy to understand. Can we give God glory for what he's done today? Hey, before, before you guys take off, before you guys take off really quick, next week we're going to be talking about being spiritual week three. Uh, we're going to be talking about this idea of grace. Now, a lot of times people think that grace simply means God's unmerited favor, that God forgives us, and it definitely does mean that. But man, there is so much, the word means so much more than just forgiveness of sins. And so we're going to be diving into that next week. We're going to talk about how spiritual people live off of the grace of God. You're not going to want to miss it, so come back, bring your friends, and we'll see you next week. Can we pray real quick? God, we love you. Thank you for those who put their faith in Jesus today, their confidence in Jesus, who've entered into the kingdom. Help them to live for you, to honor you with their life, and to, to seek your approval and to live for one audience. Help us all to do that today as we leave. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. See you next week. Bring a friend.